Welcome to Top Class with me, Duncan Crawford, where we're talking about education in Afghanistan under the Taliban. My guest today is a woman who risked everything to get an education. Sola Mahfouz was 11 years old when men came to her home in southern Afghanistan and threatened to throw acid in her face if she continued to go to school. After years of being denied an education at the age of 16, she began to teach herself in secret using online courses. She later travelled to Pakistan to take an SAT test to attend a college in the US. She passed, managed to get a visa, and is now 27 and researching quantum computing at Tufts University in the greater Boston area. She's also co-author of her memoir, Defiant Dreams, The Journey of an Afghan Girl Who Risked Everything for an Education. Salim Afouz, thank you so much for joining me. Talk us through your life as a young girl in Afghanistan, because you were born a few years after the Taliban were cementing their control. Is that right? Yes. Uh, so Taliban came to Kandahar, my hometown, in 1995. But then when they took over the whole country it was 1996. That's when I was born. And of course, at that time, you know, until 2001, I was shielded by the innocence of my childhood. So there are some moments that I remember from that time, but mostly it's through the stories that my sister, my mother, or like the readings that I have done is that I learn about those dark times. And in that time, TV was banned, music was banned. Uh, you describe in your book how your mum started having to wear a burqa. Yes, uh, so... You know, my mother grew up in Afghanistan at the time of the 1960s where like it was modernizing and so she got educated and then eventually she was a professor at Kabul University and then the civil war started and all of her, you know, dreams shattered in her life. And so then after the civil war, the Taliban came and then it's like basically women were in prison at home, they have nothing. Whenever they had to go out, they had to be accompanied by a man or, you know, even their younger sons, and they had to wear this burqa. And so for my mother, that was her first time. And, you know, my brother, he had seen her being a lecturer, you know, just this independent woman. And suddenly she was wearing this thing and she ha he, he had to accompany her. So he, he just thought she's blind and she, he would tell her, you know, okay, don't step here, you will fall. So I think this is basically kind of symbolizes what women lost over those years. And you were about five years old, is that right, when the US invaded in 2001 and removed the Taliban from power. Yes. Right. So after the US took control, what changed? Were you going to school? Yeah. So school reopened and the first days we were so happy. Uh, my mother was so happy because, you know, my siblings that, you know, after the civil war and the Taliban time, my older siblings were not able to go to school. And then me, my sister, and my other brothers, my mom was so happy, like, like at least this generation of her kids are not going to be uneducated. There was so much happiness, but when I was fifth grade, that stopped you. And you are obviously passionate about education and getting yourself educated. And your parents, they were particularly supportive of helping you get an education. Exactly, because as I said, you know, my mom was educated. And I think once you're educated, you kind of like, you see the world in a different way. And then you see your kids are not able to see that way. And it just pains you so much. So 
for them, that was a big thing. And they instilled in us, education was such like a learning was such a sacred thing, uh, especially in my mom's side of the family, where my grandfather put so much emphasis on girls' education, especially. So you're coming from this family where you've got a very supportive mother and grandfather. But let's jump forward a few years to when you were 11 years old. Your family received threats about you and your sisters. What happened? This was at a time the Taliban were making comeback. You know, there was time, like suicide bombing exploding. And also they start threatening girls who were going to school. There were incidents of girls' assets were thrown on their face. And so this was, this was the time it's around 2006 and seven, And that's when we stopped going to school. And actually, I was, I didn't understand at that time what that meant. And I was happy that I was not going to school um, because the school that I was going to was not very intellectually enriching environment. But of course, from, for, for the older like, people who understand the gravity of the situation, that was different. And for me, only years after, I began to understand what that meant. Did other girls, friends of yours, people you know, also receive similar threats? You know, initially when the school reopened, there's a lot of people, a lot of girls started to go. But then 2005, like one of my friends that I know, she was just being followed and then she stopped going to school. And so we were the last girls that we stopped going to school. So like slowly and slowly girls stopped going to school because of those kind of threats. So for you and those girls you knew, at that point, what were you thinking about the future? What did you feel the future held for you? I didn't really think much because like I would spend my day and like watching TV and then and then like eventually you're going to get married. That was the path. Like there, it wasn't like, like to think about future, you have to feel like, oh, I can do something about it. So there wasn't much to think about. So, so what changed then? So I saw my brothers, uh, they were going to very good school and you know, they were thriving intellectually. They would talk about things. And I felt really attracted to those kind of topics. You know, you know, they would talk about math and they were like, how hard it is. Or my brother uh, was trying to go to England and, uh, you know, he was learning English. I felt there was purpose in their life while mine, you know, revolved around what everyone was doing in the family. Are there guests coming? So I have to prepare. Or is there a wedding that I can prepare my clothes for? So, and there wasn't, it wasn't leading to something more. It just, I felt like, what, what's, what's the purpose of all that? What is, you know, it's like every day it's the same, the same, the same. And I felt really jealous of my brother's life. And that's when it initially started that I, that was like, there's something wrong the way I am living. So it was jealousy of your brothers, which actually propelled you forward to try and get an education. Yeah, exactly. Because like, for example, my older brother, he had this, Everyone was respected, like my bro, my father, my uncle, like he, they would listen to her, his opinions because while mine, like I was just in the, in the shadow, in the, like, who cares, like what I say, what I think, but uh, not just because I didn't really have anything to say. And then I would also see women around me, even though my mom was educated, but like everyone else, like all the women, other that I knew, they were not educated. And while men would talk about politics, about the world, and the women would just talk about gossip, fashion. At that time, it felt to me there was insignificant. And so I kind of wanted to be in that other world. And 
And that's when I saw like, oh, I have to be educated to be in that other world. So at that point, you are now age 16 and you start to try to get hold of educational materials. In your book, you talk about watching CNN and the BBC, watching YouTube videos, borrowing English books from your brother. How much effort did you put into educating yourself, studying alone? So the idea of self-education really started for me was because my grandfather, my mom's father, he educated himself at the time and he didn't have internet or like English material or anything, but he had his own motivation and, and he had like put this huge emphasis, like if you know English, it's like opening a window to the world. And at that time I had like so many questions. So initially I kind of Initially, I didn't start with education. I started with fashion and then religion. And then eventually I went to education. And my grandfather also said, like, just don't make an excuse. If you learn one word a day, it's 365 words a year. It's better than nothing. So I think it's those kind, that kind of motivation that, that made me start like, okay, if my grandfather could do it at, at that time, I can definitely do it now. And so like, I would start with, BBC watching like for hours and hours, BBC without understanding a word. Like I would understand a word or two and like CNN and then whatever that I could find in my brother's room that was, that were in English. And I would translate the words uh, to Pashto or like dictionary that I had where the words are very limited. And so that I would go back to an English dictionary. And like that, there was one time actually like counted and there were like 50 words from just one word. So it was just, it just like, I felt like it was just darkness and there was this flashes of light here and there. So you obviously had discovered this determination to learn, but the turning point or one of the turning points was the discovery of these online courses. Yeah. So in 2012, I had some grasp of English that I could read in it. But it's, I didn't have a lot of good English materials in Kandahar. And so my brother was going to Pakistan and I asked him, like, yeah, just bring me anything that's in English. And, and so he brought me a lot of other books and one of, there was one magazine, Time magazine. And there I learned about Khan Academy because Sal Khan was featured in it. And then I went, uh, opened my computer and I saw like the beauty of algebra and I knew from the talk of my brother and cousins of how hard algebra was. At that time, I also forgot my addition and subtraction. So I actually had to go back to learn that. And so this is how my educational journey with math and science started. I was, I was 16 and, uh, it just, I felt like really, really obsessed with math because it was such a structured and it's just like I have to learn one thing to learn to be able to learn another thing. And so I felt all my life, like the days, as I said, you know, like everything else was not in my control, but this was in my control. And so I became really, really obsessed, like eight hours a day, whatever time I could find, like I would. Eight hours a day? Yeah. All week? Every day? Every day. Like, I would like, for example, Friday is holiday there. Like, my brothers who were going to school would be out not studying, but I would be like studying because I was like, you know, I would feel ashamed that he's younger than me, then he knows all of those things, and I'm older than him. I don't know anything. So, while you were studying in your room during this period of Afghanistan's history, the Taliban had regrouped and regained control of large areas of the countryside. NATO formally ended its combat mission to Afghanistan in 2014, handing over to Afghan forces supported by US troops. 
I think by now you were probably around 18 or 19 at the time, but there's this growing insurgency. So while you're studying inside, what was life like outside? I think uh, at that time in Kandahar, there was a lot of targeted killing. They were targeting a lot of like people who worked for the government. While in Kabul, there were like almost every day there was suicide bombing happening. And, and so I was very, very scared that, oh, what if the Taliban come back? What, you know, I will never be able to leave the country because by that time, once I started like more math and science and, philosophy and physics, I really wanted to go out and, and study in a university. And I knew that like there were times that I would dream, uh, like I would look outside from the, my rooftop and then in my dreams there would be the Taliban car. I would see them. And so then I would put even more pressure on myself. Like, you know, I have to get somehow, somehow like I have to get myself out of here before it's too late. So I think that that fear was there and this uncertainty. And I think at the time, Obama also announced that the U.S. troops are going to pull out. Like those who lived in Afghanistan, we knew that the government is not able to sustain itself without the support of U.S. troops. So we knew that the Taliban are going to come back. So you developed this clear aspiration to leave the country. At what point did you think, I'm now at a level where I can compare myself to those who have had a full-time education? I began to prepare myself for this exam IELTS because my brother took it and that's how he went to England. But I have never spoken in English, so I needed someone to practice my English with. And so there's this website where you put your language and then you want to practice the language that you want to practice. And so that that's where I met a girl and she living in Iowa, Emily. And so when I start talking to her and like the, like I was doing calculus at that time, and so she made it like you have you are at the level that you can start a university here. And so this is when I l- realized because I always thought, like, how can I just a person who just stayed at home? Like then suddenly I can compare myself to students in the U.S. who went all their life to school. So I never thought like I am when I was on my own, I never thought like I was in that level. And obviously it turns out you were at that level because you managed to get to Pakistan to take an SAT test because you dreamed of going to college in the US. But there were lots of challenges along the way. How did that come about? Oh, that's when I discovered. I think learning, for me, learning in secret, learning at home, that wasn't the hard part because I was determined. And But once I began to get out, the first step was to like, in Afghanistan, we don't have passports or... Uh, so like I had to apply for passport. At that time, my brothers left the country to study abroad. And so my brother, my father was working. So really there wasn't a person to take me. And so there were like challenges after challenges. I find in some way I applied for a passport. And then, okay, now I have to go to another country because the SAT was not available in Afghanistan. I had to go to Pakistan to take it. And so my uncle was going and I was like, I convinced him to take me there. And eventually the passport also came through and I took the SAT and I did well enough to apply to schools in the US. How did that feel, passing that SAT test? I felt really, really relieved because it just kind of gave me a lot of confidence. Uh, Before I just, I I did not know where I am, like uh, in a world standard. So I think that gave me a lot of confidence, like, okay, now I'm prepared for the next step. And so I came back to Afghanistan, and that was the next step was to apply for a visa uh, to come to the U.S. 
There's a lovely story in the book where you describe flying to Kabul, I think, to get a visa. And as the plane lands, all the women on the flight removed their niqabs and burqas. Did you do that as well? Yeah, so it was my first time going to Kabul and I was wearing a niqab. And when, the, as you said, like the plane landed and suddenly every all the women were just like taking off their niqab or like their burqa and then like wearing pants and like uh, shirts. And, and then I didn't go all the way. I just took off just my niqab and let my uh, like uh, scarf uh, loosely hang around my head. And I just felt like I was in a different country. Uh, it, it was so surreal. So you'd gone there to get your visa, but initially you were rejected. So what happened there and how did you manage to get one? So I, uh, yeah, so I had my acceptance, uh, my college acceptance letter and uh, application form. I think like I paid the fee and then in a minute, the visa officer told me, oh, we can't give you a visa. And I was like, you you haven't even looked at my documents. How can you say that to me? And he said, well, we just don't think you're going all the way to school. Like you're going just to immigrate. So they couldn't believe that a a young girl like you or a young woman at the time could have been educated to go to the U.S. to study. Yeah, it made me so sad, but at the time determined as well. This is when I realized how the world sees Afghans as desperate and just just want to go to another country to immigrate. They don't care about education and all of that. So I think for me, just it's just like someone like pulling the ground from your feet. That's how I felt at that time. But you did manage to get a visa and you did manage to make it to the US eventually. Explain how you've ended up where you are because you now specialize in quantum computing. And that is really quite a jump for a girl who didn't really want to study until the age of 16. So I was able to get to the US because a New York Times columnist wrote about me and my journey. And that's how what allowed me to come to the US. And, and then I started, studied physics. Uh, and then I did, I went to Arizona State University and there I became friends with Frank Walchuk, who's a Nobel laureate. And he told me like, you have to study quantum mechanics. And he told me, like, I see my young self in you. And I think that for me was very, very encouraging to, you know, for a person at that level telling me. And because I all my life, I was also kind of searching for meaning. And at that time, what felt like quantum computing or quantum physics was like you understand level at the fundamental level. Like, you know, you know, you start, you go inside the atom and how the atom works. It's just like, yeah, it's just like then you see, OK, that's how the world emerges. That for me felt really enchanting. Quantum physics has this philosophical element too. And then I started doing research in quantum gravity. Uh, and then I talked to a professor who was developing quantum algorithm to simulate quantum chemistry at Tufts University. And that's where I am now. People always say you always remember a good teacher who supported you at some point in your life. In your case, I mean, you have educated yourself by and large through online courses, but at the same time, you have had certain individuals, certain professors who, by the sound of it, have given you support at key times. Yeah, I don't think I would be able to do it without uh, those people that came in my life at the right time and guiding me in the right way. As I mentioned, like uh, Frank Walchuk, 
it's just like the passion that he has for learning. I just thought like when I came to the US, I saw students, they were, they were just doing learning because they had to do it for a course. But there wasn't this passion. And, and I felt that, oh, maybe there's something wrong with me. Like I should become. But then I saw this person who was still like at that time at age of 65, so much love for ne- learning and just like want to understand everything. And I, I think that's, that helped me to sustain my curiosity and, and then go forward in life. How much of a culture shock? Was it moving to the US? How tricky was it making that transition from a very conservative society in Afghanistan to America? I felt like I, after age 16, I stopped living in Afghanistan in some sense. Uh, you know, I was reading books. I created a world of my own. And I always, from that world, I imagined that I'm going to go to the outside world. And then when I came to the US, that's when I was like, oh, that's where I should have been. Like, I didn't cling to my old way of living. Understood. I, there, there was a passage in the book where you describe being picked up in a car by a woman and told to get in the front seat. And you're hesitant, you write, because you've never seen a woman drive a car before and you'd never been in a front seat before. So there are sort of everyday challenges for you, or maybe not challenges is the right word, but things which other people would consider everyday, which for you are very different and very new. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I would notice it. Uh, for example, yeah, one is that story. And then there's the other story is that when I was very young, I would go to rivers and Kandahar with my father and brothers. And I loved swimming, but then I never swam. And then I went to Arizona State University and I went to uh, the swimming pool. And for like a few months, I would go there every day because I just felt like I'm a child again. And then suddenly I can do those things. So of course, yeah, there was those things which wasn't challenging, but it was just, it just like you're, you, you live at a certain age and then you're a certain point, you have freedom when you're, um, in my case, when I was a kid, then you, you're just suddenly like you, you have to live differently because you're a woman, you're, you're grown up woman, so you can't do this. Then you suddenly, you're able to, to do these things again in the way you want it. So I think it was this kind of, uh, I don't know if it's clear the way I'm seeing. No, it's clear. It is clear. And I, I presume now you feel like you fit in in the US. It hasn't been too difficult to adjust over the years. I mean, I think uh, I think about things differently, and I think just being like those two people in oneself that is that there. But I think it's more of a, an intellectual challenge. I I don't know. Uh, it isn't like I, it stops me from communicating people or living freely. Is there anyone you know back there who's been inspired by your actions, and as a result, are secretly learning online? I do have a cousin's daughters. But I think it's just, uh, I can't just tell them like, oh, I did it. So you have to, like, you can do it too. I think it's every person's story is different. And I got so much lucky along the way. So I think there are people, who, there are a lot of girls that, oh, yeah, they want to learn. But I think it's the first challenge is really English. And then there isn't that lot of structure there. So for me, I just, I don't know. I was just like so crazy to learn that was, I was able to learn. I'm so obsessed with learning, but I think everyone else kind of need a little bit more structure and also need, uh, you know, an incentive like, okay, once I learn this, what will be, what will come after that? Because there's no scholarships for women and even you get scholarship, it's hard to get a visa. So. You can't just tell girls like, oh, yeah, you just learn and then everything will take care of itself because that's not how it is. Do you feel conflicted at all because you effectively, I think, can't go back? 
Would you ever consider going back? No, I never want to go back because uh, at least as long as, you know, the country is in the state it is. Uh, because I do have a lot of my beautiful childhood memories in that country. But even I go back there, I'm not going back to the times where that memories are formed. The people are not there. So it's a, it's a very strange relationship. In my head, I spent so much time in that country, but yet I'm so distant from it. And I don't see myself in the future going back there. What are your plans for the future then? Other than becoming a world famous quantum computing scientist. So I'm definitely, uh, I'm uh, focusing uh, on writing uh, fiction. I'm working on a novel and it's, it's all in, it's all in Afghanistan and how this country has gone through so much over decades and how the politics has been shaping people's lives. And then recently I wrote a, opinion piece in the New York Times, which does talk about freedom and then talk about, in a sense, like who won in early 2000 and then how that freedom was, in some sense, imprisonment to some other people who were impacted by airstrikes, but then how now the freedom that people feel who supported the Taliban are is imprisonment to the people who wants, you know, to their daughters to be educated, the girls that want to be, you know, have a life. And so these are the things that I've been really thinking about. Uh, and so like how does dynamics play? Well, Sola, good luck with that project and all your other plans. Listening to you speak throughout this interview, I have to say that you've certainly put me and probably many others to shame. I grew up with every opportunity to study and learn and I didn't always do my homework I certainly wasn't always committed to educating myself and I am genuinely humbled and inspired by your story so Solim Mafuz, thank you for sharing it with us and thank you so much for your time and if you want to learn more about her story it is fascinating pick up the book she wrote Defiant Dreams The Journey of an Afghan Girl Who Risked Everything for an Education Uh, So, good luck with all your projects. Thank you so much. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, talking to you. To those listening, if you have a spare moment, please do check out other episodes of Top Class. You can find us on all the major podcasting platforms and do join us again soon for another episode of Top Class. All the best. (laughs) 